Hey, this is Pastor Sam, and thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We're starting the kind of the Advent season around here at Central Church. We're actually, it's funny because if you look at the church calendar, like the liturgical calendar that more like high churches follow and stuff, we're actually a week behind, but that's okay because we're doing it our own way, right? Like we're just going to go through it the way that we feel like God's called us to go through it. And so um, we're starting the Advent season. And for those of you that don't know what Advent means, it's kind of a weird word. Maybe sometimes the only thing that you've experience when it comes to Advent is like those Advent calendars, those weird Advent calendars that people always put up and then you like forget to move it to the next pocket like every single day and the next thing you know you're like, wait, has it been five days or six days? And then you start counting backwards from Christmas, you know what I mean? Have you guys been there? You've been there? I've been there a lot. Um, Maybe that's your only experience with Advent and that's totally cool if that's what it is. Um, I would contend this morning that this Advent season is extremely crucial for where we are as a nation. It's extremely crucial for where we are as a church. It's extremely crucial for where we are as a culture. I think that right now, we need Advent. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, just in and of itself, the season gets crazy, right? Like November, December is unbelievably crazy when it comes to uh, hosting family and uh, friends, and, and then you start talking about gifts, and there's like financial pressures, and you want to make sure that you get the right gift for the right people, and then you don't want you want to make sure that there's like not that one person that you forgot that they got a gift for you, but you didn't get a gift for them, and you know what I mean? Like they give you like a ten dollars Starbucks gift card, and you're like, I'd rather just not have the ten dollars for Starbucks because now I feel guilty and terrible as a person. You know what I'm saying? But there are so many different pressures just associated with what America does around this time of year in and of itself. But then on top of that, you guys have to agree, we are living in a very fast-paced, chaotic culture, right? We're living in a very fast-paced, chaotic world. We're living in, in a world that's extremely divided. We're living in a world of wars, and we're living in a world of a lot of violence, and a lot of craziness, and a lot of hecticness, and, and you look at, I don't know if hecticness is a word, but we're, we'll go with it. Um, I mean, even if you look at this election cycle that we just went through, and it's like, I, I know we've, too many people have said way too much about this past election, but it was insane, right? We can at least say that. And, and now we're rolling up to December and everybody's like, okay, let's just get over it, right? And there's like this sigh of relief where we're just kind of like, okay, I'm done. Like I feel raw. Like things have just been unbelievably crazy and tense and I'm, I'm done with it. Do you guys feel that way? Are you with me? Well, see, Advent is about slowing us down, right? Advent is about slowing us down. Advent is where we remember the Hebrew people waiting for their Messiah. Advent is where we take some time to reflect on what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. Advent is a time that we look forward to the second coming of Christ when he says that all things will be made new. And so we slow ourselves down in this time It's this time of reflection and this time of longing, this reflection of like, we look back on all the things that God has done 
for, for the Hebrew people, for the world in general, for us in our lives, what God's doing currently in our lives and in our relationships, in our situations, in our jobs. And, and then we also have this longing element to Advent, which is like this, there's still work that needs to be done. Things are still not totally right. And we just long passionately for this renewal of all things. We long passionately for, for God to continue to do his work in the world. And so as we start this series, we're calling it Emmanuel. And, and that, that word Emmanuel, we have it on the screen, it means God is with us. And so what we're gonna do with these next four Sundays, well, including today, is we're gonna actually dig into the meaning of the incarnation. We're going to talk about what it means for God to be with us and how that kind of should shape and mold our lives. So if you guys just want to pray with me real quick, we'll go ahead and jump into it. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for this time where we can just respond to how good you are. God, we thank you that we don't have to ask you to show up here. We know that you're here. And I thank you so much that you have already made us aware of you. God, I pray that, I pray that as I speak what I believe to be your word, as, 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 I, as I speak what, what I feel that you've put on my heart to speak to these people this morning, God, I pray that you would just empty me of my own words. Father, I pray that you would just use me as a tool to speak. God, I pray that it would be your words and not mine this morning. And Lord, we pray, each and every one of us, that you would give us ears to hear this morning. Father, that you would open us up to the truth of your gospel. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, everyone said. Amen. Okay, so let's start with this incarnation word, because some, I'm, I may be saying this word incarnation, and some of you think about flowers, or I may say this word incarnation, and some of you guys think about baby formula. I mean, I guess it depends on the stage of life that you're in, right? But that's carnation. It's a little different. Um, this incarnation word can trip some people up. And, and the funny thing about this incarnation word is that, you know, I was raised in church. I, I grew up in church. I, I, like, ever since I could walk and before that, I have been in a church pew every single Sunday. So, um, and that was back when there were actual pews. Um, and, and so for me, I've heard this word a lot. But believe it or not, I never really understood the significance of it, the real significance of it, until I think, like, last year. It's not something that the church talks about a whole lot. At least the evangelical streams of churches, we don't really talk about it a whole lot. And, and this incarnation word can be really tricky to some people. Simply put, the incarnation means that God, God, big G, right? God became man in the person of Jesus. If that sounds crazy to you, it's okay, you're among friends, I understand. But what we believe as Christians, what we affirm, is that the person of Christ, being, you know, there's the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Trinity, we believe that the Son, the Christ, from the foundations of the earth, in the person of Jesus, actually was manifested to be a human. So we believe that the Christ became a human through the birth of Jesus. Are you guys following me? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's mind-boggling. When you throw in the fact that Mary was a virgin when she conceived him, then it like gets really crazy, right? But the incarnation means that God became man. And I think that the, the incarnation is so important, and we don't talk about it nearly enough. 
It is so important. And honestly, we should be talking about the incarnation all year long. We should not just be talking about the incarnation in December. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, This should radically shift the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view all of humanity. I want to start with a verse that I was taught, that I memorized probably when I was six years old. This verse has meant something different to me all the way up until this year. And I want to start with this verse, and then I kind of want to move from there. But there's this verse in 1 Peter 3.15, and it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, let me tell you how I used to understand this verse. And some of you may be in the same boat as I was. Um, the way that I used to understand this verse is, is I, my Bible curriculum growing up, all my Sunday school teachers, all the pastors that I was under, uh, the way that they would kind of put this verse forward is that I have to have a reason, I have to have a way to convince people that ask me about why I believe in God, why I believe in God. Are you guys following me? They call it apologetics. But, but it's this idea that if someone comes to you and says, why do you follow God? Why do you believe that there is a God? Why do you believe that Mary was a virgin? How can you actually believe that? Why do you believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead? How can you actually believe that? And the way that I understood this verse was that I needed to have foolproof anecdotes for these people that came to me with doubts and explained to them why I'm not crazy to believe these things. Some of you guys, is, is this some of your experiences also? I kind of see heads nodding. But the funny thing is, is when you revisit this verse, when I go back and I actually look at what it says, does it say, always be prepared to have an answer to everyone who asks you why you believe in God? No. Does it say, always be prepared to have an answer so that if people ask you if you're crazy, you can explain to them why you're not crazy? No. That's not what Peter writes here. What he says is be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. That implies that if you call yourself a Christ follower, or even if you're just sitting in this room this morning, it means that you're kind of interested in something about Jesus. That means that we should have hope. Not reasons, not even logical explanations. Those have a time and those have a place. But where Peter camps out here is he says, you should always have a reason for the hope that you have. When was the last time someone asked you why you're so dang hopeful? Right? I asked myself that question this week. When was the last time somebody asked me why I'm so hopeful? Guys, I tend to lean very pessimistic. So for me, it's kind of hard to be hopeful. But I I get the pleasure of talking about hope this morning because that's the first week of Advent. And see, I think the problem is, a lot of the time with this verse, when I would start to explain to people what this verse meant, a lot of the time what we would end up doing in the circles that I ran in when I was younger um, was that we would come to people with an explanation as to why they are so terrible. This is where it would start. And it's sad, but that's where it would start. Um, People would say, hey, 
What's up with the hope that you have? And you say, oh, well, you're a sinner. That's where you started. With a lot of the material that I memorized, that is where I started. And see, the problem is, is a lot of Christians aren't hopeful because we don't start in the right place. We start in Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1. And I'm going to show you guys a little bit about what that means this morning. But in Genesis 1, it starts out, it gives God this, you know, it shows God creating everything. It talks about God speaking the world into existence, which is just such beautiful imagery. And then Genesis 1, verse 31, you can throw it up on the screen. It says, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So the very first chapter, the very first thing that we're introduced to is God creates everything. And this is after he's created humankind. This is directly after he has created Adam and Eve. And he looks over everything that he has made and he says, it is very, very good. He's happy with it. It's, it's almost like, you know, you do that thing and you're like, man, I impressed myself. That's God to his creation. And, and then, yeah, obviously, Genesis 3, we know there's a fall and, and things get messed up. And we don't have to look very far to see how messed up things are. Amen? I mean, you, you just look at a, any number of this litany of things that are wrong in our world. I mean, I could just point at you individually. I'm not going to, but you could just come up with something that's wrong with our world, Right? You could come up with something that's wrong with the person next to you, probably. But um, things did get messed up. But where we started, where we started was good. You guys see that? And so I think a lot of the time we don't have that hope. People aren't asking us for the reason for that hope because we're not starting in the right spot. We're not understanding that, that God created this whole thing for really good Things God created this whole thing for goodness that we can't even understand. The prophet Isaiah, he he saw this tension, he saw this brokenness, but he knew that that's not where we started. And he knew that that's not where we were going to end. And the prophet Isaiah wrote this poetry, Isaiah 9, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He writes, this is crazy that he's writing this, and you, you guys will see. He wrote this 750, almost 750 years before Jesus was born. But he said, for a child is born to us, and a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That's pretty big language. Um, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah's looking at the brokenness, and he knows this isn't where we started, and he knows this isn't where we'll end, and he says, there is going to be a day. I don't know when. This is 750 years before the birth of Christ. I don't know when. I don't know what his name's gonna be. I don't know what his mom's name's gonna be. I don't know how this is all gonna play out. But he was speaking into existence this reality of things are going to get better. We are not where we should be, but God's working on it. And he knows that this Jesus character, he doesn't know his name, but he knows that this Messiah is coming and this Messiah is gonna make everything right. In chapter 11, he writes, out of the stump of David's family, which 
Jesus came out of the line of David, will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance. Thank you, Jesus. Nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Isaiah's writings are laced with this kind of stuff. When you hear Advent prophecies read, in, in, especially in older style churches, they're almost always reading from Isaiah because Isaiah had this vision that God wasn't done yet. He had this vision that God's still working on it. And he didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or what the time frame looked like, but Isaiah just was hopeful. He was so hopeful. And believe me, you read through the book of Isaiah, he knew that there were things that were wrong. He knew that things weren't where there should be. It almost seems like every other chapter, the one chapter is super hopeful, and then the next chapter is like, you people suck. <laughs> Serious. but he was insistent that God wasn't done yet. Are you with me? There's even this imagery that he writes about where he talks about the people taking their weapons and, and kind of melding them and changing them and turning them into agricultural tools and kind of taking this like battleground of a world that we have and making it a garden again. And I think, I think we're gonna tackle that a little bit more next week. But he had this dream of things getting better. He had this dream of God making things right. The Hebrew people had this hope, this confident expectation of good. That's the definition I like to use for hope. Confident expectation of good. The Hebrew people had this confident expectation that this Messiah was gonna come and everything was going to be made right. And then Jesus showed up on the scene, and you guys know the story, the angels in the sky, and they're saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward all men. The Savior is here. And they declare this just triumphantly, that Jesus is here. You see, the incarnation, the coming of Christ, gives us hope for this, this one reason. We started good, right? And yeah, we got messed up. But see, God can't become something that's not good. God can't become something that is evil. God cannot become something that he hates. Are you guys following me? Like God can't hate humanity and then become humanity. And so because we affirm that Jesus came in the form of a man and that God actually took on the form of humanity, we in that statement are saying that God has not given up on us. Are you guys with me on that? We say, if God can't become something that is not good, if God can't become something that he hates, then God taking on human form means that it's still good. Are there flaws? Yeah. Are there like, Freckles and moles and scars and scrapes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. 
But Jesus taking on human form means that this whole thing is still good and God has not given up on it yet. In Romans chapter 15, Paul actually quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. So he says David's throne, which means Jews. And then he says Gentiles, which means anybody that's not a Jew. So basically what he's saying is that he will rule over everyone because he says Jews and non-Jews. So I just thought that was kind of cool how he did it. But um, this is obviously uh, Isaiah writing. He says he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope in him. There's that hope word again. And then he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, there's that hope word again. You guys, are you guys with me? Do you see all this? will fill you completely with joy and peace, and we'll talk about those later, because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what I love? You know what I love? And a lot of time we stop when scripture says what we want it to say, and then we don't keep reading. But if you keep reading, verse 14 starts out with Paul saying, My brothers and sisters, I am fully convinced that you are full of goodness. What? Isn't that what we were just talking about? Paul says, listen, if you trust in God, he's the source of hope. God is the source of hope. He is the God of hope. And I I believe that if you trust in him, you will overflow with a confident hope that this whole thing is not getting worse, that it's getting better. And then he follows it up with, my brothers and sisters, I'm fully convinced that you are full of goodness. Man, that's good stuff. And then, you know, we're not going to dig into it right now, but Paul writes in Philippians 1 that God always finishes the good work that he starts. And so to me, if we started good, yeah, yeah, we got messed up along the way. I'm not diminishing that. You guys know that. My friend Lindsay Fisher, she started All Worthy of Love, who we sponsor every month. She says this all the time, and I love it. I think she probably stole it from somebody, but I'll give her credit. She says, people don't need to be told what's wrong with them. They already know that. They need to be told what's right with them. And I think that that is so true. I think that is so true. And see, Paul says, listen, if God started this good work, if it used to be good, yeah, it got messed up along the way, but then God became human, That means something humongous. That means that God still loves humanity, warts and all. That means that God isn't giving up on the whole thing. Paul says, listen, God always finishes the good work that he started, so he started something. Y'all know he's gonna finish it. He says, have hope. God doesn't do things halfway. Jesus means God is with us. We can confidently expect good from God because the incarnation says that he hasn't given up on this yet and in my opinion it says he never will and and I think so often when we're talking about hope it's about what we take in and it's funny how I've noticed when I'm feeding myself with hope like when I'm, when I'm reading things that make me hopeful, that make me believe in the goodness, um, I, I tend to have a little bit more hope. 
when I am feeding myself with a constant 24-7 feed of news that is just fear and vitriol towards the other side that they don't agree with and just, dis- just disgusting division and I'm constantly pouring into myself, you know, I, I, my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but my opinion is that we feed ourselves with way too much information that we don't need. Meaning, like, I stopped watching the news like eight years ago, right? Because at that point, I would have been like a late teenager, and I said, I can't do this to myself every night. You turn the news on, and it's like, oh, there was a rape in this city, and there were three murders in that city, and there was... And, And yeah, it's important to know what's going on in the world, but come on, people. We're not supposed to be all knowing, when I turn the news on, I just, I, I go to bed with this heavy weight on me. Like, man, humanity really sucks. But you know what? You know what? The good stuff doesn't sell. They're not coming to you with like, oh, hey, guess who fed a homeless person today? This dude, everybody tell him he's awesome. No, Right? And then they got those little fluff pieces at the end with like, look at this dog wearing a skirt. How cute is it? And then you're like, what in the world? Like, is that supposed to cancel out all the garbage you just shoved down my throat for an hour? Sorry, I'm on a little bit of a rant, but are you guys with me here? So often, the, ho- the level of hope that we have is determined on what we put into ourselves. Are we feeding ourselves with Scripture? Are we feeding ourselves with God constantly reaffirming the goodness of his creation? Are we feeding ourselves with, are we surrounding ourselves with people that constantly speak into the good that could happen in the world? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that do the opposite? Are we surrounding ourselves with media that encourage our view on humanity? Or are we surrounding ourselves with media that does the opposite. And, and you see, <clears throat> some of you may really need this hope this morning. Some of you may be in situations where you consider them to be hopeless. You know? I mean, we've got a lot of people in this room. Maybe, maybe you're struggling quietly through a marriage that doesn't seem like it's working very well. And it's really hard to have hope meaning confident expectation of good from that situation. Maybe you're struggling through a relationship, <clears throat> pardon me, with family or, or with a friend, and you're looking at the situation and you're going, man, I, it's super hard for me to confidently expect good from this. I, I don't understand how good can come from this. You know, maybe it's a job situation, maybe it's a financial situation, Maybe it's your spiritual condition. Maybe you're sitting in this room going like, yeah, that hope stuff, it sounds really like fuzzy and fluffy and warm and cool, but I'm not about that right now. It's really hard for me to confidently expect good. But I want to encourage you that God is with us, and that is cause for hope. Amen? And as people who claim to be Christ followers, we should be the hope people. We should be the hope people. 
when the whole world is saying that everything is going to hell in a handbasket, we should be the people that say, no, it's not. We should be the people that confidently expect good because we know who God is. It's kind of hard for me to lose hope sometimes when I look back, even at just the times that God has been faithful in my life, and I just say, man, God is so good, and he loves me so much, and he loves all of humanity so much, and yeah, it looks like there are problems, and yeah, there are things that need to get worked out, but man, I think the whole thing is still good. I think God is with us, and I think that means that he hasn't given up. So maybe I shouldn't. There, there's an element to this hope that's it's kind of waiting and working. And I want to kind of leave you guys with this last, this last idea as the band comes up. <clears throat> there's this element to hope that's kind of waiting and working. And, and what, I, what I mean when I say that is we've acknowledged multiple times we're not naive, right? There are still things that are wrong with the world. There are still injustices daily. There are still people that are marginalized that should not be. There are still problems that we experience and that we face on a constant basis. There are still conflicts between you and family members that you wish there weren't conflicts. There are still problems between you and friends that you wish could be resolved. Are you guys with me? We are not naive. There are still problems that need to be worked out. But leaning into this hope and leaning into the Christ and saying, if Jesus is here, if Jesus is human, if Jesus is with us, then that means that God hasn't given up and I shouldn't either. Paul says that we are the body of Christ, which means that we are the hands. That means that we are the feet. That means that we are the people that get things done in the world. And so what I want to leave you guys with this morning is, is two things. And if you want to write it down somewhere, you can. If you want to put it somewhere where you'll remember it, you can totally do that. But hope is about waiting and hope is about working. We wait because we know that Jesus is coming back. He said he was. And we know that that day, whatever that looks like and whenever it is, he is going to make things good again and everything will be made new. But in the meantime, while we wait, we work for that reality. We say things are not good, but we are the hope people. We are the hands and feet of the Christ. We have the message of reconciliation. We are the ones that go and make things right. When we see that something is wrong, we are the ones that say, I can't sit here and do nothing about that. I am the one that is going to fix it because I am the hands and feet of Jesus. I am one of the hope people. You guys with me? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple more songs and we're going to respond. And if you've been sitting here and you are having a really hard time having hope, I want to encourage you, if you just need to sit down and just say, Jesus, you are with me. This thing is still good. Remind me that this thing is still good. Do that. Or if you're sitting here and, and you've been doing a lot of waiting for God to do all that stuff, but you didn't realize that there was a working element to it also, then maybe it's time to stand up and sing at the top of your lungs and say, God, I'm in. 
I want to be one of the hope people. I want to be one of those people that when people come across them, they go, why are you working to fix this whole thing? You know it's screwed. And you can smile at them and say, ah, no, no, no. God is with us. We're the hope people. That's what it's about. You guys pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. And Jesus, we just take time to recognize right now that you are with us. God, we thank you that you are not done with us yet. God, we repent for the times that we have given up, the times that we have said that it can't get better. And God, we wait on you this morning to give us a confident expectation of good. We return to our origins this morning and we say, God, you created this whole thing for goodness and you are not done with it yet. Jesus, we come to you understanding that we are the body and that as followers of Christ, we come to you and we pray that you would make us the hope people. I pray that the world would see us, the world would see our lives, the world would see Central Church and they would see hope and that we would have the ability to give them the reason for the hope and it's because God is not done yet. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your holy name. Everyone said Amen. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, challenged you, and that you experience true life change. Make sure you head over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc.